0: Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips.
1: And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Welcome to The Advocate. This is Nick Phillips with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday evening. We're going to be revisiting a topic we spoke about several months ago, and that is the legalization of marijuana and its impact on the human being. With us again is a returning guest, Dr. Antoine Conamogary. Dr. Conamogary, thank you for joining us again. Great to be with you, sir. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your background. You're a medical doctor, and um, tell us a little bit about your uh, interest in marijuana and what it does to the human being.
2: <laughs> yes, uh, being a physician you know, uh, and a consultant in the ER, uh, particularly uh, as well as a uh, consultant and uh, outpatient clinics, and for uh, first-line health care uh, in the community, I, will, I, I, I encounter a lot of cases. I see a lot of people whose lives have been affected by uh, cannabis usage. So. With all this uh, legalization movement going on in Canada and the United States, I said I will share. Uh, I really decided to write this book out of the spirit of sharing with my fellow citizens the, the, the message that cannabis is not necessarily harmless as many people might say. So it's it's really for sharing with people the facts, the scientific facts that we have out there. It is not a book about uh, uh, demonizing cannabis or, or scaring people away, uh, you know, uh, uh, about this substance. But it is a book, an educational book, non-judgmental, non-political, uh, non-ideological book, uh, really with the sole purpose of uh, sharing facts about the
1: substance. Well, well, let's go back and talk about some of your personal experiences when you have been seeing patients present themselves. You mentioned emergency room and dealing with psychiatric issues. Uh, When I think of the use of marijuana, I know that in popular culture, and uh, I'm back from the 1960s where marijuana was certainly Uh, something that was the taboo, but it was sort of uh, uh, everybody seemed to be into it. Uh, And I remember going to college, you could smell marijuana burning all over the place. When we have people smoking marijuana and uh, the operative element or chemical in that is THC, uh, what, what is THC and what does THC do to you?
2: Yes. Yeah, it's, that's a very good question because uh, cannabis uh, has uh, hundreds of uh, chemical components, and uh, among those components, there is what we call cannabinoids, and THC is the main uh, is one of the two main ingredients that we find in cannabis. So, THC or tetrahydrocannabinol and CBD. Or cannabidiol, so the THC is the is the part of cannabis that gets you high, it's the one that's going to create the feeling of uh, of elation, of high, of of uh, uh, you know the buzz. It, it's the one also that is responsible of getting you hooked to cannabis because it stimulates. Uh, the, the, the the part of your brain that was, that is responsible of creating addiction, uh, and uh, it, it it is the the, the the substance as well the THC uh, that is going to uh, to cause or to increase the risk of mental uh, alterations. Uh, for example, when we talk about uh, psychosis, for example, the links between cannabis and psychosis, it goes through THC. It's basically uh, THC, depending on the concentration of, of it, uh, the higher it is, uh, the, more, uh, the more addictive cannabis will be, the more the risk of psychosis, the more the risk of, uh, of mental alteration, like a reduced focus or attention and uh, decision-making. So it, it is the substance. Yes, that causes the high, the pleasure, when you smoke cannabis or take it in other through other means. But it is also that substance that is responsible of uh, other consequences. And as you say, in a, in the nineties, you know, eighties, nineties, the, 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 the THC concentration in cannabis was about uh, two to four percent. Nowadays the concentration of THC in cannabis is about 15 percent so this is that's why people who used to smoke cannabis back then uh, when they try it now they are like "Ah, this is way too strong this is way too much it doesn't really feel like the cannabis we used to smoke in the 60s so Mm -hmm. because the concentration has increased a lot
1: a uh, well question about the um, the medicine and the science about cannabis. We talk about THC, and I'm assuming that when you smoke it, the THC is burning and it's part of the smoke and it's inhaled into the lungs and then it's transferred into the blood inside the lungs and then it's transported by the blood into the brain to get the sensation uh, of being high now exactly. when when that THC is in the blood and it's in the brain, I'm assuming it has something to do with receptors in the brain what yes. rese- What receptors are though, and, and how does THC affect different than alcohol or, or is it the same? We know that mm-hmm. it must have the the numbing effect of alcohol temporarily until it metabolizes out. but mm-hmm. is THC different than an alcohol high?
2: Yes. Uh, actually, first uh, in the brain we have receptors called cannabinoid receptors. This is where the, the THC THC is going to uh, to affect your brain. It's going to be to to, to, uh, to to stimulate these cannabinoid receptors in your brain, and this is how it's going to 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 to, to affect. Other systems like uh, uh, as I just said the, the, the system uh, especially the prefrontal uh, cortex in your brain uh, well uh, the decisions are made the, the system this is the part of your brain that is responsible of concentration attention focus uh, anticipation decision making intuitive thinking and it's going to 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 um, to inhibit or reduce the functioning of this part of the brain, alcohol is going to affect as well uh, uh, this system. But it's not the same receptors; it's other receptors uh, uh, to which alcohol is going to uh, to be linked. And uh, yes, both both substances are addictive. You know, uh, alcohol is addictive as well as cannabis or TSC. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, a lot of people will say that cannabis is not addictive at all. This is not true. 10% of cannabis users will slide into addiction. And when we talk about teenagers, the risk of addiction uh, increases uh, to about 17%. That's one teenager out of six who will slide into addiction. So alcohol and cannabis, when we talk about comparison, they are both Addictive substances they can both uh, uh, Increase anxiety disorders for example uh, But THC is known to stay longer in the system longer than alcohol uh, Sometimes when you for heavy smokers or heavy cannabis users uh, It can test positive even 21 days later some for some people it can even test positive uh, Six weeks later, so uh, it's it's uh, it's a, it's completely different uh, in a way it affects uh, the system. But yes, they are both substances that need to be taken carefully.
1: Well, well let me. We have about one minute before our break comes up. But uh, when we talk about addiction, I, I think maybe of a couple components of addiction. One might be. The organic or physiological addiction that your body craves something physically, versus maybe a behavioral addiction based upon seeking pleasure and repeating that. Um, yes, exa- is, exactly. Is, is, what, what do both of these, or or one more than the other, play a prominent role in THC mm. or marijuana addiction?
2: Yes. Actually, when we talk about cannabis use disorders, we're talking about both. It can be physical dependence or physiological dependence. That means when you stop using the substance, the system has some kind of symptoms that remind you that you didn't take the substance. And yes, cannabis has this physical or physiological dependence or physiological addiction. Again, physiological addiction of cannabis is less severe than physiological dependence uh, to alcohol because the, uh, the, the withdrawal symptoms uh, from alcohol, for those who use alcohol in a heavy way and daily, when they stop abruptly, this withdrawal symptom can kill them. Cannabis withdrawal syndrome is not deadly mm-hmm. but it is very uncomfortable you know? well,
1: let's hold up on that thought we're talking to Dr. Antoine Kanemugiri about marijuana and the physiological and psychological effects of marijuana we're going to take a short break we'll be back after these words you're listening to Nick Phillips on WHK The Advocate we'll be right back
2: okay.
3: children the product of a married couple who were once in love unfortunately sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced this is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults the law firm of phillips and millie offers advice and representation in family law matters remember your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part phillips and millie your local law firm on the west side of middleburg heights telephone 440 243
4: I'm Pat Lamb. Select insurance services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree. Insurance is confusing. But at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com.
1: Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of the Advocate. pat lamb and select insurance have been my insurance agents for years wonderful to work with and never a hassle call pat lamb at select insurance for your insurance needs
5: you've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle, You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 Shades of Green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience at a three-star price.
6: at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care.
3: You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips & Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips & Millie Millie at four four zero two four
1: three twenty eight hundred. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of the Advocate. We're talking tonight to Dr. Antoine Kanamugeri concerning uh, a psychiatrist' viewpoint of the use of marijuana and uh, what what happens if um, it's legalized and everyone starts using it freely. And, uh, Doctor, you've seen that people become addicted to it, um, and from a psychiatric standpoint, I've always heard, uh, as a lawyer, and, and being involved in uh, some litigation concerning this, that if you start taking marijuana too early, before the human brain is fully developed, there's some retardation in the development of the frontal lobe or the executive function of the brain. Is any part of that accurate?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Actually, you know, the brain uh, develops up until the age of 25. And for some people, it can even go up until the age of 30 or 32, especially in men. And uh, uh, so when you start using cannabis before your brain has, has fully developed, uh, cannabis is as i said it, it got a lot of uh, receptors in uh, the frontal or the prefrontal cortex so it's going to affect this part of your brain which called uh, prefrontal cortex it, it's it's part of your brain that is right above your eyes it's right there and this is the captain the captain of the ship this is the pilot Of this part of the brain, and uh, it can have long lasting consequences because this is the part of your brain that is involved in, uh, in anticipation, decision making, intuitive thinking, uh, concentration, focus, uh, inhibition of uh, behaviors, uh, you know, which means it's the brake. Uh, when you accelerate or you press on the gas, a brake to balance the speed. So this is the part that is going to say, oh, no, 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 not that. Not this. You don't need to do this. Now, because uh, you don't want to affect the, the development of your brain.
1: No, with, would it be fair to call that a sort of a self-induced um, retardation of brain development?
2: Yeah, uh, actually, yes, it can uh, it can retard the brain uh, development as well as it can. Uh, for some for some people, it's been irreversible, even after the stop using the brain, uh, the, 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 the cannabis, I mean, uh, we, we don't see this coming back. So it's, it's very important to really consider this before you decide to, to, to use the substance. As well. Again, as I say, when we say the risk, we're not saying that everybody is going to be affected in the same way, but there is a risk that some people... Some teenagers, especially, will be affected in a great way and uh, so it's important to really consider mm-hmm. this before
1: uh, and we've talked uh, we talked a number of months ago about the same subject, and since then are have you found any um communities that have experienced now with the legalization of marijuana and whether they've noted any uh, sort of community shifts in in behavior Uh, For example, I I noticed when someone does have, uh, say, a lack of that executive capacity, they have a hard time making decisions, and they sort of represent or look like uh, present themselves as the uh, the typical stoner from the 60s that we think of. Uh, And uh, and if they do that, they're they're not accomplishing what they could in life. Have have we seen evidence of that yet in, in communities that have allowed this?
2: Yes, actually I've seen it in individuals uh, in my practice i've seen it over and over and over again you know uh, as I used to say as i like to say you know some people have never met uh, uh, someone like this wonderful 19 20 year old bright young man finished high school with an average of uh, uh, above 90% in everything starts college first semester 90 93% in everything second semester everything changes you know starts missing class no homework misses exams parents are worried wondering what's going on they come to the Young men with girlfriend, sister, father, mother, grandmother, everybody's worried. You know, the kid, uh, they're wondering if the kid is depressed or has another medical condition. We do all kinds of tests. We find nothing. But we learn from the young men that the only thing that changed from first semester to second semester is that he started using cannabis during the Christmas holidays and he really went heavy on cannabis. And uh, the second semester, everything drops to 50%, 60% failures, and it was really catastrophic. And um, this young man was experiencing what we just talked about, you know, the frontal part of his brain was not working as well as before. His decisions were biased by uh, cannabis, were affected by too much cannabis in his prefrontal cortex, and he developed as well what we call a motivational syndrome, which is this lack of ambition, lack of uh, purpose, lack of direction, Uh, you know, everything is all right now, no problem, no, no big deal, so this is the uh, no big deal speech, no problem speech, no, uh, and it leads to really dire consequences.
1: Well, I, why is, why is that happening? Because I, I call it, and I've seen it when I did uh, juvenile magistrate work, watching kids uh, make that change, where they were great students in elementary school or early junior high, and then they come to court with their parents, and the parents are beside themselves because uh, I, I call it sort of a, a loss of ambition for success. Uh, suddenly, mm-hmm. things that would matter don't matter anymore, and they're satisfied with coasting. What, what is it that takes this ambition towards success uh, away from people?
3: Yeah.
2: So, so, so I, I talk about it in Chapter 11 of the 21 Unspoken truths about marijuana. It's what we call a motivational syndrome. And this is not depression. This is not really a, a another kind of psychiatric condition. It's a really a syndrome associated with the cannabis or other drug usage, and uh, it's going to, to to affect your your the the the. the, the the parts of your brain that is that are responsible of generating ideas generating ambition uh, increasing the the drive at uh, the purpose the, the and these, these executive functions are, are uh, literally asleep and uh, this is the physiological as well because the drugs are going to stimulate uh, you know dopamine in your brain and you just looking for another stimulation uh, you know you these people are really motivated to get the, the the next dosage or the next dose of the substance but not motivated for anything else because nothing else is stimulating as much the brain to release the dopamine so they are going to look for that very specific substance and They lose motivation for everything else because the reward. Okay, Uh, this is what we call the reward system. The reward is not there for anything else. They do not perceive the 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 feeling that they get from the the substance in question. So, uh, this is very very can be very dangerous, especially for teenagers who or young adults who are dying alive. We'll, we'll, have,
1: the we'll life. have to watch that very, very carefully, because as a matter of public policy, it would be looked at that the government okays this as being harmless, but uh, it's not. And uh, we thank Dr. Antoine uh, Kanamugiri uh, for joining us uh, today. And the book, I think the book is uh, 21 Unspoken Truths About Marijuana. Is that the name? Exactly. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us, and we'll We'll have you back again as the story unfolds into our future. Thank you so much. It
2: will be a great pleasure to be with you, sir.
1: Thank you so very much. We're going to take a short break right now, but we'll be back for more of The Advocate tonight, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate.
4: I'm Pat Lamb. Experience a do it yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440 237 8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440 237 8555, or selectinsservice.com.
1: Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance.
0: whk cleveland
5: you've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a european river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine portugal has to offer even better you'll move on to spain and experience the rich heritage of this country explore the early influences of ancient rome And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended, as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle. You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 Shades of Green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience
3: at a three-star price. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800
6: at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care.
1: Welcome back Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. If you've ever been called for jury duty or you had a case before court and had to face a jury, you'll know that uh, jury trials are, are something of an event. And we're going to talk to an expert on jury trials. We're talking... About the jury crisis, which is a new book by jury Sherrod, Mr. Sherrod, thank you for joining us
7: you 're welcome i 'm happy to be here.
1: yes, where are you calling from tonight
7: i 'm in Pasadena, California.
1: Oh very good. We just saw your beautiful city during the Rose Bowl parade, but uh, that that's a beautiful city that, that being said we 're up here in Cleveland, Ohio, the land of ice and snow, so you're uh, you're much. Uh,
7: I've been at the Rock and Roll Museum
1: before. Good, good. Well, that that's a wonderful place. But you know, getting down to business, um, you're a jury consultant, and you wrote a book called The Jury Crisis. I am. Crisis. Uh, I'm a trial lawyer, and before the interview, we talked a little bit about about that. Your role as a trial consultant. Can you tell us a little bit about your background?
7: Yeah, I'm actually a social psychologist. I have a PhD in psychology, taught psychology, written a lot of articles and a textbook, and then this most recent book on um, the jury crisis. And what jury consultants do are, we are hired by attorneys when there's a big case, usually high damages or major consequences at stake. And the goal is to try the, essentially to try the case in advance in a mini version, with jurors hired from the, from the venue who match the real venue, who would, would look like the faces you would see on a real jury trial. The whole thing is reenacted with lawyers and uh, evidence presented on both sides. And the result of the, this, these analyses are to develop um, trial strategies that are persuasive. We often, to do that, we often rewrite the opening statements into narrative form. We also can develop uh, verdict, uh, reliably tested uh, of lawyer questions that predict verdict. And then we also often do post-trial jury interviews. So whereas most jury deliberations are never penetrated because they're sacrosanct, there's no clerk taking down notes or anything. I have often, I've just talked to scores and scores of jurors on the phone about their experience of having been a jury. When, when they decided on a case to, uh, to go one side or the other and why.
1: Well, on that particular point, what do you find? When do jurors make their decision uh, as a general rule?
2: It's
7: often hard for lawyers especially to accept. But there's pretty good research that most jurors begin making up their mind during early in the opening statements. And having made up their mind, they then use use that to uh, determine what they attend to during the cases in chief, what evidence they focus on. It affects what evidence they recall, what evidence they don't recall. And it's partially because the jurors do this because this is basically what the brain evolved to do, to lead to narrative conclusions instead of doing a objective, rational analysis of evidence. We survived by leaping to conclusions, acting intuitively and instinctually and telling stories. Well, and we can't help yeah. but do that in jury trials.
1: And, and that's uh, human nature, I would imagine, that it, it's hard to, it hard to combat that. Uh, I, I've been doing jury trials for many years, and uh, it, it's always a mystery. I remember years ago when I was starting out doing jury trials, I used to uh, I think probably of being uh, the the function of being a young attorney, I, I felt I would know what a jury is going to do. Uh, but now it's not so clear. It, it's not really clear what the jury is going to do. It depends on the makeup of the jury, how they're feeling that day, how the judge is feeling that day, how all the witnesses are going to come across, whether they'll come across the same way as they told you they're going to come across. And uh, the the outcome... In our, in our, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the outcome is so unpredictable in your experiences is there some way to bring that together and make it more predictable
7: well it is unpredictable and that's why jury trials are vanishing Um, there's there's just staggering numbers there that there's only um, less than a half percent of all the civil trials filed in a year reach a jury that's less than one half of one percent just a couple of decades ago it was twenty percent twenty five percent and for criminal trials it's less than one percent so basically Less than a half percent of criminal trials, and less less than one percent of criminal trials, and a half percent of civil trials ever reach a jury. That's been called the the vanishing jury. We are seeing, we are maybe seeing the death of trial by jury in America.
1: Well, I I can see that uh, happening in a sense because we've been seeing more mediations and uh, some arbitrations, but uh, yeah, cases very rarely get to the courtroom. Uh, at at one point, I was uh, I thought it'd be a neat thing to just have. Uh, a team of lawyers try a simple case in front of a sample jury in the courthouse as part of a bar experiment, and then go right across the hall and do the same trial again in front of another jury, and watch how they do it differently. Huh. It's a great experiment. Which, which we
7: have we, done uh, some post-trial jury interviews, <coughs> where, in in one case, there were this, the same almost this, the same evidence was involved in two different cases, the same lawyers, the same witnesses. Um, same allegations, same suffering consequences. The only difference was that, two, that each plaintiff was different, and it was tried in a different part of the country. But in one case, the jurors favored it, voted in favor of the company, a pharmaceutical manufacturer, and the other in favor of the individual. And while the, the both sides put on detailed science cases lasting probably a week to 10 days, the science was over the head of the jurors. They just couldn't recall it. As One juror told me on the phone, he said, I'm not Einstein, I'm as blue-collar as you can get. All the science just went over my head. So that's a problem. That's one of the reasons that um, lawyers and judges, especially lawyers, seem to distrust juries. They think juries can't understand cases. But it turns out that um, if we turn it over to experts, which would be judges, mediators, arbitrators, they bring their own biases. Also, those bias are all, uh, biases are all vested in a single person who's going to be telling a single story about the facts. Whereas in a jury, you're going to have six to 12 people ideally representing different cyclists of the community, talking together, spreading the risk, trying to hammer out a community standards decision.
1: Yeah, Have you seen any examples of a blend of having a judge handle most issues and a jury, maybe a special jury, just handling a single issue? Uh, an, an area I would think of probably I think it's more Europe. Uh-huh. What, what happens in Europe?
7: In Europe, I think major cases with major charges... Uh, Major penalty, major uh, criminal cases, and huge penalty jury trials sometimes go to judges. I mean, sometimes go to go to juries, but generally they go to
1: judges. And uh, well, I'm thinking like in medical cases here, uh, where maybe a jury could be impaneled just to consider the damages issue. Something that's maybe something that's based on common experience rather than highly technical scientific data and competing. Peer review articles and experts and that kind of thing. I, I could understand how people can get lost in that.
7: Well, interesting. We were hired by a client to do um, to, to do a comparison of jurors versus experts on an overcharging case and a very complicated manufacturing dispute. And the manufacturers claiming that its part suppliers had been overcharging for ten years. So we hired a group of um, arbitrators who heard the same evidence that a group of juries the uh, jury heard. They reached different conclusions. The arbitrators accepted the fact that the evidence was more or less unclear and unpersuasive, but it was similar to lots of other cases they had handled, so they accepted that they would just trust the evidence. Whereas the jurors, said they couldn't understand the evidence, but the way they reasoned it was a simple story. If this major sophisticated company had been, had been being overcharged for 10 years, it was basically their own fault, because why wouldn't they have realized what was going on?
1: You know, when you approach a case like that, you you mentioned you guys do some fantastic things to help lawyers. Uh, For example, uh, setting up uh, mock juries, uh, writing opening statements. How, How much of this is based on the law and how much is based on, say, psychology?
7: Well, by the time it comes to us, the lawyers have done all the discovery. They've filed all the motions. They've sought summary judgments, and they have to face a jury. So at that point, it becomes much more of a psychological issue than a legal issue. And I think, in fact, that's the problem, that the um, the lawyers, especially defense lawyers, haven't learned how to uh, talk to a juror. They still talk to the jurors, though they're talking to law school professors. For example, we often find that when lawyers write opening statements, it's a, list, it's a yellow pad list of, say, 100 items, and they just check them off, sort of out of order out of chronological order out of any kind of narrative order there's no story there's no beginning middle and end we transform those into a narrative usually five themes beginning middle end a narrative that organizes the evidence so we don't ignore the evidence we just organize it in a way that it's comprehensible and in doing that you also set up a series of mental file folders so this jury, the jurors just have to recall the overall narrative and then they can they can uh, fill it with, the, with the, uh, the evidence
1: from these file folders we've established in their brains. Uh, it sounds like the way the human mind works, and that's the best way to do this. We're talking to Drew Sherrod, uh, who is a jury consultant and a Ph.D. in psychology, and he has a book called The Jury Crisis. Uh, it's, it's a great book uh, if you're planning on being a juror or you have a trial or you're a lawyer we working in that system. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with uh, Drew Sherrod to talk more about jury trials and the crisis with regard to jury trials here in the United States. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate. We'll be back after these words.
6: at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care.
4: Coverage gaps. This is an experience a do it yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today 440 237 8555 or check us out at SELECT insservice.com, 440-237-8555, or select insservice.com.
1: Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs.
3: Our military service members volunteer to protect us in the most dangerous places around the world. They step up. And when they are severely ill or injured, returning to their families is only the beginning of their long road home. Wounded Warrior Project provides these brave men and women whatever they need to continue their fight for independence at no cost for life. So now it's time for a grateful nation to step up. Join us at findwwp.org.
5: You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle, You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 Shades of Green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience at a three-star price.
1: I'm back Cleveland, Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of the Advocate for tonight. We're talking about jury trials and the validity of having juries in our jury system uh, here in the United States and what's been happening over the past uh, decades concerning fewer and fewer jury trials. With us tonight, we have Drury Sherrod, who is an expert on uh, juries. He's a consultant and a Ph.D. in psychology. And, uh, Drew, thank you for joining us.
7: Thank you. I'm enjoying the
1: conversation. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. Uh, as a lawyer, I, I love jury trials because it gives us the time to actually talk to normal people. And uh, sometimes I tell clients, <coughs> if you want to know what your jury is going to look like, go to your local shopping mall and just randomly pick out the first, uh, first people you see. They're likely what kind of people will be on your jury. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and with that, uh, we all don't hire jury consultants uh, to to do cases, other than very large cases where the uh, economic issues of the case justify the expense. Because what you do is expensive; it's time consuming, it requires a lot of lot of input. Right. Uh, how any thoughts you well, have? lawyers. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you're going to say most lawyers.
7: No, I was going to say expensive for lawyers and, uh, and, and the uh, consultants as well, especially the, the whole trial is enacted with, oh, say two star lawyers, a lot of assistant lawyers, um, a lot of witnesses, um, videos. The, the, the mock trials can be quite elaborate productions.
1: Of course. Well, uh, doing a trial is uh, like um, there's a similarity to an iceberg. Uh, the very tip of the iceberg is what you <laughs> see in the courtroom. And everything below the surface is what goes on for years, getting these cases ready for trial. Right. And uh, when when I talk to business people about litigation, they're facing a controversy. If it's not a multimillion dollar, it's going to put them out of business and ruin them kind of a litigation. Most litigation is very time-consuming, a lot more expensive than they would think, and is sort of the equivalent of having a Certainly. cancer uh, to, that a human would have. So you know, settlement is always a is a good thing. Is there any advice that? Um, yeah, we might talk about. Go ahead.
7: I was going to say we might talk about jury selection because we haven't touched okay. on that yet.
1: Well, yeah, tell me about jury selection. That's that's a mystery, and that's what many movies are made of uh, for TV. Tell me. Well, it is. Tell me about jury selection. I have, and
7: Doctor Bull, for example, you've seen the TV show.
1: Yeah, people love that show, <laughs> and, and they they have. Uh, I just
7: jury duty one, and the. Uh-huh. The prosecuting attorney, um, in her version of the voir dire, she asked the same question to many people. She said, do you promise me you'll keep an open mind not make up your mind until you've heard all the evidence? And this was asked over and over. And then um few, few questions are asked about specific attitudes. Yet the research is really very, very clear that what um, the kind of voir dire question that best predicts a juror's verdict is ask them about um, values, lifestyle adi- uh, lifestyle experiences, attitudes, and values that directly relate and mimic the kind of issue that's going on in the jury trial. And different questions would be relevant for different strata of the, the population. So for example, the kind of questions that might predict a plaintiff-oriented versus a defense-oriented, say, older rich white men are different from the questions that would predict plaintiff or defense orientation for young, poor, minority females you can almost rank it as a gender and ethnicity and, um, and get several cells and have different predictive questions. So th- that takes a, an extensive amount of research to see what kind of questions best predict verdict as a function of gender and ethnicity.
1: Well, yeah, when and
7: when you, if, when yeah, you do ahead. that in such a fine-grained way, you can actually get very close to predicting verdict.
1: Well, that, that's uh, like uh, the, the polling before an election, seeing what uh, what what one might do and what the outcome of the election might be. Uh, when we we talk Correct. about uh, the the juries and jury selection, uh, to me it, it's almost a misnomer in a way that you're really deselecting a jury. You get the first jurors in the box, and then you ask them questions, and you try to see whether they're going to be for you or against you, and then uh, we have what's called a preemptive challenge. We have a number of preemptive challenges where we can th- basically just ask a, jury to l- a juror to leave for whatever reason we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I saw in your book that you recommend that one of the things to improve juries is to limit or get rid of preemptive challenges. Or did I catch that?
7: Yeah, I think so. To either um, to limit them or or to get rid of them. I think it's important to have a jury of your peers. And I think to 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 keep striking um, certain segments of the population just because you think they would be um, they may not favor you. Is, is is turning jurors into you know, representing sort of the bell, middle, middle. And so the, the extremes are often um, not represented even in a jury pool because poor people move too often, their addresses change, they don't get a summons. Rich people tend to ignore the summons. Um, some states, in fact, I think link their, um, whether or not somebody has shown up for jury duty with, with, uh, with a basic computer, if you're pulled over for traffic violation, the police might find that you have a record of ignoring jury summons and possibly be... Uh, the, They could arrest you. So I think one thing that needs to be done is to make the jury pool much more representative of one's peers, which means different segments of society, different levels of education, income, different ethnicities, as many different demographic variables as you can plug in that matter in the community.
1: Do you think there should be more jurors than, uh, like in Ohio, we have eight jurors in a civil case, 12 in a criminal case? Uh, If we're going to eliminate uh, preemptive challenges, Uh, Should we have more jurors uh, so that we sort of spread the wealth?
7: You mean more jurors in a panel, like more than eight or more than 12?
1: Correct, correct. Or is that enough, even though we can't sort of weed them out?
7: Yeah, I hadn't thought about that question. Um, I think at some point it makes deliberations ungainly, unwieldy. I think probably those are good. I think 12 is a good number. Plus, I like its sort of history of, the, you know, Anglo-Saxon value system. Right, right. Where juries originated during the Magna Carta 900 years ago.
1: Well, that, that system, as we're, we're talking about new technology and so forth. By the way, do you find that in talking to jurors afterwards, have uh, do the jurors go on social media and go online during the trials? Is that something they all do, or do they listen to the judge and stay away from that kind of thing?
7: I think jurors <clears throat> seldom listen to the judge's instructions. I mean, they—I'm not sure they often, they generally understand them, and if they do, that they obey them. Um, Social media is really no different from the from the judge admonishing jurors: don't don't look, don't don't read any news about this, you know, and don't listen to any news. This is just an era where people can directly uh, provide themselves with their own news. But the judge's instructions are still: don't listen to any outside evidence. Don't listen to anything about this case that hasn't been presented in trial.
1: I hope they, they go along with that. What what kind of comments do you hear about the lawyers? Uh, I, I remember hearing some things from some jurors that uh, during the course of the trial, they form opinions about the lawyers and start picking on their idiosyncrasies sometimes. And uh, They definitely do that. Yeah, tell me about that. Does that actually sway a jury if they hate the lawyer uh, representing one side? They may rule against that lawyer?
7: Actually, it's kind of the, the reverse. In fact, we've, we've noted this often and often tell lawyers about it. It's not the case that jurors um, are persuaded by the lawyer they like the most. They're often persuaded, they're generally persuaded by the lawyer who makes the, the, the jurors' work easiest, who can lay out the facts for them most clearly, who can explain engineering test- testimony or scientific testimony and, in the clearest way. So often, um, you know, they'll say, well, I really like that one guy, but I just couldn't understand him. Sometimes, and they often are not, they're much harder, I think, on, on female attorneys than male attorneys.
1: Oh, why is so they, that?
7: They'll make more personal comments, like, she can afford to get a better haircut than that. Or, you know, I don't know why she wears those shoes. They don't look comfortable to me.
1: Yeah, amazing. And that uh, that kind of focus from jurors really perplexes lawyers as to, uh, you know, we're giving them all this juicy stuff, the the real things. Uh, we, we have uh, about a, a minute to go, but real quick, do you think uh, jurors should or should not take notes? That always seems to be an issue.
7: Well, I think they should. I think and the judges' instructions ought to be very clear as to what their goal is. It's, it's very um, odd that judges' instructions are delivered at the end of the trial instead of at the beginning. It's like uh, enrolling in a course and not knowing what you're supposed to focus on. Until uh, at the final, until the final exam, when the fact it would have been much better if the instructor could tell you at the outset, you know, this is what this course is about. These are the issues that matter. This is where I want you to focus and concentrate. In really computerized courtrooms, uh, every juror has a little station so they can send a message to the judge and say they want to ask an additional question of the attorney. And so, but most most trials still don't have most courtrooms still don't have questions or note taking.
1: Wow. Well, uh, to me, uh, the courtroom is, is still the the last option for resolving problems here. And uh, I think it's a good thing that we have the jury system. But uh, the name of the book is called The Jury Crisis, and it's by Drury Sherrod. And, uh, Drew, thank you for joining us tonight.
7: Thanks for enjoyed this.
1: Thank you so much. And thank Thanks. you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So, between now and then, have a great week. Good night.
3: And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset. Sat and drank my fresh mint tea with nothing to do until morning. i my
0: mind my The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. Hey.